0: And welcome to another episode of My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and this is the podcast where people tell me about the five things from their life that they'd like to preserve in a time capsule. Four things they cherish, and one they rather regret, and would like to bury in the ground, and never have to think about again. My guest in this episode is the actor, writer, and comedian Rory McGrath, Rory's career began after he left Cambridge University and The Footlights, when he wrote for Frankie Howard and Not The Nine O'Clock News, with his writing partners Clive Anderson and Jimmy Mulville. This led to Jimmy and him writing and performing Who Dares Wins on Channel 4, which led to him, Jimmy and Denise O'Donoghue forming the independent production company Hattrick. Rory was a panellist on the quiz show They Think It's All Over for many years and starred alongside Dara O'Brien and his old university friend Griff jones in three series of the BBC's Three Men in a Boat. He then appeared with Paddy McGuinness in Channel 5's Rory and Paddy's Great British Adventure and he also presented two series of The Lakes for ITV. I spoke to Rory over the internet, which is strange because we were both in the same room. No, not really, obviously. I jest. It's clearly not worth it. So, let's find out what Rory would like to put in his time capsule. Rory, welcome to my time capsule.
2: It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: As with all these things, and you won't believe this of me, but I've actually done some research, and I'm shocked to find that you've been involved with time capsules before, and not in what i'd call a good way
2: it's fascinating to hear because i've got no idea what you're talking about Yeah, so you don't remember your own work history Uh, no i i I, i'm pleased to hear that i have one because i completely forgotten about that part of my life now that i'm a beekeeper well okay i'll remind you then but apparently you
0: tried to stop sooty from putting his time capsule into the ground
2: is that true? June. Oh my God, you did. That's, that's incredible. That's what it was. I, I got a part in one of my early TV roles, was playing a Jobsworth. Is this what? Am I right? Have I got this right? A Jobsworth yeah. man is always saying, you can't park there. You can't dig that, You can't swim there. Yeah. And I, I was a friend of the director and I met him in Lanzarote <laughs> on holiday. And he said, oh, boy. Can you just do me a favor and play this job's worth? And I said, yeah, it sounds great. And I said, what what program is it? He said, Sutty. I said oh, Sooty. I thought, Sooty, our generation, our generation, you know. One of the hardest jobs I've ever had to do, by the way, um, one of the scenes was uh, Sooty and Sweet go fishing. Now you can imagine, given <laughs> given Sooty and Sweep are handheld glove puppets, right? Yeah. There's big logistic problems. So they're like going fishing in a small, tiny boat. I appear as a frogman from the pond, holding a sign saying "No fishing." Mm. Now, they say, "Right, Roy, lie down in, on the water." It's a Chesington World of Adventure. I'm in the lake there, and Sooty <laughs> and Sweep, Sooty and Sweep are in their boat, fishing, and say, so, "Say, so, okay, Roy, lie down, and when the water comes." We'll, we'll cue you and come up with the sign. I said, okay. So I'm lying down thinking, I'm underwater. I, I'm underwater and I can't hear anything. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm now gasping for breath because it was going to be, you know, and so, <laughs> and so I go, ah, 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 facing the wrong way because you can't ever, when you're lying on base, it's six feet of duck shit's <laughs> line, it's very hard to get up. So I get up, and I'm facing the wrong way and I said, how, how are you going to cue me? That's a great point. So then they tie a a piece of string to my leg so (laughs) they can yank it. This goes on, and we eventually get a take right. And then one of the great gags is sooty falls in the water. No. Sooty falls in the water. So I'm lying there, or sitting there by now, in my frogman's gear, and the director says, do you mind being the sooty operator? And I thought, Jesus, this is... This is something to tell your kids, you know, when I'm actually, you know, holding sooty. I'm actually manipulating. I'm working sooty. I am the sooty operator. And they said to me, "Um, are you left-handed or right-handed, Rory? And I said, (laughs) well, I'm actually left-handed, but is that a problem? Director shouts, "Uh, can we have a waterproof left-handed sooty? And they (laughs) open this huge chest and there's about 400 sooties in. You know, green sooties, burnt sooties, right handed, left handed, left handed, left handed, -handed waterproof. And they chuck it in. And I thought, (laughs) Jesus, this is, this is, I expect sooty to be carried around on a red velvet cushion, the sooty. There's hundreds of them. (laughs) Oh, no. Ruin my day. It (laughs) does. It spoils the illusion, doesn't it? There was a huge bloke uh, who was. One of the you know stage hands on the set, and because Sooty's filmed in the old days, it's filmed on you know on thirty-five mil. It's for proper filming, you know, whatnot. And uh, well, this black like about six foot, really fat, all so like that. And uh, his job, if it started raining, was to hold an umbrella over Sooty. <laughs> and I said to him, Ron, what do you? <laughs> when your children say, "What do you do for a living, Daddy?" What do you tell them? He said. Fuck off! <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised. Anyway, well, thank, so... thank you for reminding me about. Actually, I completely forgotten. There you are. You see, and that's, that's my only. That's my one good anecdote out the way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, so what's your first item that you're going to put into the time capsule?
2: I'm going to read out something that this will be a clue. Mm-hmm. And Arsenal comes streaming forward now in what surely will be their last attack. A good ball <laughs> by Dixon finding Smith. For Thomas, charging to the midfield. Thomas, it's up for grabs now. Thomas, right at the end. An unbelievable climax to the league season.
0: Oh, now for any Liverpool fan listening, that causes an enormous amount of pain, doesn't it? I
2: know, but do you know what, Michael? I get the shivers whenever I I look at that (laughs) moment of Michael Thomas' goal. People who don't know the context. It was the last game of the season. It was delayed because the the were disaster. So it was a one-off season. The FA Cup had been played. Liverpool had won it, so they were on for the double. But mathematically, or arithmetically, as my pedantic uh, maths teacher brother-in-law says, arithmetically, Arsenal had to win by two clear goals. As Brian Moore said the other night, it's a chillingly simple night. Arsenal have to win by two clear goals. Otherwise, the title stays on Merseyside. And all Arsenal supporters thought, we're never going to beat Liverpool. This is the great... We're never going to beat Liverpool at Anfield. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, uh, Michael Thomas, our midfielder, scored virtually the last kick of the game. Alan Smith has scored on 52 minutes and uh, it was just one of the most... I, th- I think, I mean, you, I can't remember, you're a football fan, aren't you? Um, I am
0: a football fan, but I'm a Manchester United fan.
2: I was trying to place your accent. It's Mancunian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very strongly
0: Mancunian, as you can tell. <laughs>
2: um, so... Uh, that moment i think the greatest sporting moment uh, ever um okay. as, as, as you probably pointed out at the beginning liverpool supporters probably have a slightly different view of it well
0: but i remember watching that game and uh, what's extraordinary is that the thing that people maybe forget is that all the liverpool team were congratulating themselves weren't they just before the whistle john barnes shaking people's hands and they uh,
2: weren't they were one nil down them. One nil down, so mathematically they could be, arithmetically, excuse me, they got the double. They won the title. Yeah, and they were patting each other. And I I remember my son, Joe, was 13 months. He was very hard to get to sleep. And my wife, Mary, Joe's mother, said to me, I've just got Joe to sleep. If Arsenal score, don't scream. (laughs) Uh, we're no longer married, by the way. I should point yeah, out. <laughs> no, probably after that night, I should imagine. Um, oh. So, Arsenal go one lap. Um, Norm, who's this big guy, who, um, we'd arranged to go for a curry afterwards. Win or lose, we're going to have a celebration curry down the road at a, at a lovely little place for about five minutes' a walk from my house called the Bengal Brasserie, which ironically is run and owned by Hussain, um, who's a Tottenham supporter. So, anyway, so Norm says, get your coat on, we're going for a curry. I said, "I oh, got to watch to the end," you know. He said, "No, no." So we, I said, "No, we just sit down and take your coat off." And um, the other friend was a guy called Bruce Hyman, who's a, a QC, a, a, among other things, a very sort of very well-spoken guy. And um, and he said, I, "I think, well, we might as well watch the end of the game." You know, I will, it looks like we're going to win one nil. And Norm says, "Well, there's it, no point. We've well, got to win two nil." And it's <laughs> and it's now we're well, now it's 91 minutes. Let's go. So he puts his coat on. And I said to Bruce, I said, go, let's go have a curry. So we, we all put our coats on. And we're sort of walk, sidling out the room. And it was just, I, I was still, I can't talk about it now. It's pathetic. I'm, I... It's not pathetic. It's not pathetic at all. I think it's, um, it's, it's a great thing to
0: have in life, I think, that sort of passion. But uh, I have to point out that, of course, that having opened the living room door and the, all of you standing in the doorway, when that goal was scored, there was no way
2: you were not going to wake Joe up. Correct. The house basically shook with the the amount of noise we made. Joe slept through it all. And yes, as now, now an and Arsenal supporter with all the, all the attendant misery that goes with it nowadays. But it was thirteen months then, so I feel that he was part of it.
0: Yeah, you've had a number of uh, friends who are Tottenham, and uh, didn't you used to have a, a, a relationship with phoning Peter Cook? Did
2: uh, Peter Cook was a Tottenham supporter, and rather sadly. Uh, the uh, procedure was this: if Arsenal won, he'd phone me and say, "All right, very good, Arsenal. Well, I deserve to win." And if Tottenham won, I'd phone and said, "Congratulations, Peter." And uh, Tottenham had won, and I said, "Oh fuck, I'm going to phone Peter Cook." But I was so annoyed by this, I said, "I'm not going to. I'm not going to phone him. I'll leave it a few days." And in the few days that I delayed, he died, and oh, I. Yeah. And I remember thinking, I I was saying to Nicholas, I said, I've got to phone Peter Cook. He's going to think I'm now, you know, I'm now sulking. Uh, And as I was thinking this, I saw on a muted television, a picture of Peter Cook. You know, when you think, why is there a picture of Peter Cook on the television? Mm. It's only, it can only be one thing so that was rather sad but no we had some good fun times Peter Cook and I uh, talking about mm. football he was seriously Tottenham though if you needled him a bit he, he'd admit to being a talky United supporter first so yeah there we were a would lot go. of people with a, you have a big club and a small club don't you yes yeah, yeah. so with mine the big club is Arsenal and the small club is Arsenal <laughs> <laughs> well I'd, I'd, I'd argue you don't have a big club well, you <laughs> well you're you're Manchester United and you live in Kent so was it Gillingham is it Gillingham <laughs> Is that your other... <laughs> well, I was born near Millwall football
0: ground, so I right. suppose I should support them. But uh, I'm not an idiot. Well, that's lovely, but I'm happy to put that even. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to put Michael Thomas's goal, that moment, yeah. into the time capsule for you. Hey,
2: can I just... There's one one sweet, a sweet addendum to that. Yes, please. Is that uh, Michael Thomas, not long after then, actually transferred to Liverpool and became a Liverpool player. He had a quite a successful time with them. And they were playing... Arsenal at Highbury and I was there at the game and m- managed to you know, inveigle my way into the players' lands and mm. Michael Thomas is with the Liverpool people and um, and he recognised me and said oh, so you probably don't like me anymore do you? And I sort of felt like hugging him and kissing him, saying, Mike, saying we I love you there's no one in the world there's no one in the world I love more than you I yeah. go on my knees to you mate, you know.
0: Yes, it's true these people are, uh, they're, they're always going to be gods to you, I think. Mm-hmm. I had exactly that feeling. I once watched the final match of Manchester United and we sat in the director's box. I'm delighted to say I was very lucky. Anyway, it was the last game of the season and we drew with Chelsea and it meant that we finished third rather than second. So right. I was slightly annoyed about it, but uh, all, the, all the directors seemed to be pleased because it meant that Manchester United were going to play an extra game in Europe. Ah, right. So they, they got another trip out of it. Uh, yeah. so I, thought this was, I thought, oh, that's how it works, is it? And then the, the players, of course, walk around the pitch and you applaud them. But they start off in one corner. And the last place they walk past is the director's box. And by the time they got there, it was empty, oh, really? apart from me <laughs> and, and one other person. And I stood there and applauded them as they went by. And then I turned to go. And then this hand landed on my shoulder. And this voice said, well done. And I turned, and it was Eric Cantona. Wow! Yeah. Wow. So he was a true fan, as far as I was concerned. Wow! But it was a it's great a, moment.
2: It's, it's a, meeting footballers is odd, isn't it? Because we are we are always going to be older than footballers, aren't we? Even when we were younger. Yeah. Than, and I remember saying to a, a friend of mine, an actor, who was a Sheffield Wednesday supporter, uh, but he knew David Dean, the Arsenal uh, vice chairman, and he said to me, if, "If you ever..." I said, "If you ever want any tickets or anything," he said, I'll tell you, "I'd love to." perhaps get into players lounge and meet some of the players. And this guy said, mm. meet the players. <laughs> Why the fuck do you want to meet the players? Have you met a footballer? <laughs> yeah, boring as fuck, you know. And actually, uh, I did, did a charity event at Highbury once. I was comparing, I did, doing, running an auction or something for charity. And anyway, I went to the lavatory um, and I was washing my hands. And as I turned, Seth Fabregas was standing there. Who was, oh. God. Mm. And you know, and I did Spanish at university, so I didn't know a little bit of Spanish. And I just stood there standing I, I went, hombre. And he looked <laughs> at me and went, hombre. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs>
0: I was in the foyer of the BBC once, and uh, quite...
2: You've been man. everywhere, Mike. You've I've been, been everywhere. everywhere.
0: I've been everywhere, and I'm standing there, and a little man, quite short, little old man came and stood next to me, and he said to the woman at the reception, uh, do you know where the car park is? Because I couldn't park in the horseshoe thing, and my wife, uh, I think she's in the car. Do you know how to get there? And I turned it, and it was Bobby Cholton. And I said, I-, I know where it is. And he said, oh, would you show me, son? Mm. And I went, yeah, of course. So mm. I walked him to the car park and uh, he chatted. He said, yeah, my, my daughter's works at the BBC. She's a um, weather presenter.
2: Of course, that's right. She was, wasn't she? Yeah. Oh, she is, yeah, And
0: that's as far as he was concerned, that was the thing to tell me about himself. Mm. Not, I won the World Cup.
2: Yeah, I think footballers sense at some stage that they're not particularly interesting apart from this one thing they can do well. And it's quite rare that you have people who become... Rounded personalities. Of course, they've got to be much older. Ian Wright has developed into a, into a really lovely, funny, but quite sort of yeah. kind. And Gary Gary Lineker, eventually after being on television <laughs> two billion times, has actually learned how to read the autocue. And you know, to... <laughs> okay.
0: So that lovely Michael Thomas goal goes into the time capsule. So what's your second item, Rory? Uh,
2: my second item um, is a photograph, and it's the one of the few photographs I have which have myself and my wife nicola my two children from my first wife uh my two parents uh mum and dad you know you get the idea um mm-hmm. all my, my brothers and sisters and it was taken in cornwall uh during the total eclipse of the sun mm. and so it was a very memorable event and um it's it's one of the few photos where you know, my brother from Spain is uh, my younger brother and his family, my elder brother, uh, yeah, my two children who lived in Oxford at the time, uh, and my parents before they died. So yeah, well, obviously before they died. But I I didn't take any photographs of them after they died. To be honest, <laughs> it's so very respectful of you. Well, actually, I did, but that's another story. <laughs> um, and and i uh, tell you what, as a Cornishman, it's it's there's something significant areas. at the age of. I think I must have been about eight. Uh, one Christmas, I got an atlas, you know, just atlas of the world, but it also had lots of stuff about astronomy and, you know, mineralogy and stuff. And I remember reading, they said, the next total eclipse of the sun visible in the UK will be on August 11th, 1999. It'll only be visible in West Cornwall. And because I was born and brought up in West Cornwall, and I was reading this atlas on Christmas Day, in West Cornwall, and I said to myself, wherever I am in the world, I am mm. going to come with my family if I have any to my parents house in Illogan in Cornwall and see the eclipse. And so yeah. that, that date was in my head. And I remember the year before, I had a friend who runs a hotel, uh, not far from our house in Cornwall. And I said, I'll, t- I'll book every room out and I'll get, you know, I'll get anyone who wants to come and say, Hey, I booked this hotel for the eclipse, you know? And, uh, no, nobody was remotely interested. I had the hotel. Oh, no. We did, we did. No, hey, can you imagine that? Yeah. That's so, crazy. And people, people saying, and Griff saying, "Rory, um, why, why, why do you want me to come to Cornwall?" I said, "Because <laughs> it's the totally. This is the totally. It's only visible from Cornwall. It's you know, it's it's actually nineteen ninety nine. It's August eleventh. It's been. It's my childhood dream that we all get together. But Griff said, so how 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 long is it?'" I said, well, it'll be it'll be roughly two minutes, eleven seconds. You want me to come to Cornwall for four days and stay in a hotel for two minutes, eleven seconds of darkness? Uh, no, so like, no nobody came. But I, we we managed to fill the hotel with sort of uh, friends and and it was, it was cloudy. It's predictably it's in the middle of summer in Cornwall. It's going to be cloudy, isn't it? Hmm. Uh, so what happened was we couldn't see the eclipse itself everything went darker um uh, well you couldn't see anything at all we're having a barbecue in the garden as well it was pissing down with rain and uh, <laughs> there's my son joe who um watching inside the house on watching on telly and saying hey dad look this you can see the total eclipse of the sun and this was live from bulgaria <laughs> where they had a fantastic <laughs> view i said joe we've come all the way here to to watch this thing live, you know. And, of course, at total darkness, I took the photograph for the time capsule, which has all my loved ones in one picture. How lovely. Uh, But you can't see any of them because it's dark.
0: (laughs) (laughs) When that happened, I was in France, and it went like dusk. It was a weird feeling, though. It was a weird sort of light.
2: The the strange thing, what what made it a bit spooky, was that uh, about two or three minutes before any shadow all the birds suddenly landed on the rooftops and all the sort of electric wires and telegraph poles and shut up and it was it was really this is a horror film moment like why why have all the birds suddenly perched like it's you know they're going to sleep and then darkness came over it and it was it was actually quite quite a spooky thing you know
0: it's amazing, isn't it? How they, How do they know? How do they know that? Because that is before we can sense any change in the light. Uh, well,
2: I, I there's something, in fact, I asked a jackdaw that very day. I said, how did, afterwards, I said, how did, <laughs> how did you know? How did you know to, to, to roost? Uh, nothing. nothing. Nothing.
0: Should have asked a parrot. <laughs> yeah,
2: yes. <laughs>
0: It was a fantastic thing, I have to say. And I was very tempted. You should have asked me. I would have
2: come back. I'll down tell before. you what, mate. There was a room spare, you know. There was a oh, room spare. No. It's a nice thing because of this sort of eight-year-old fancy about, my God, there's this book, which is yeah. an atlas of the world, that mentions West Cornwall specifically. And August 11th, 1999 is such an easy, you know, and it was 11 o'clock as well. So it was, um, it, I was very excited about it, but people sort of looked at me rather rather pityingly and saying, yeah, it's a very big event, Rory, yes. This this two (laughs) minutes, 11 seconds of darkness which has preoccupied you for years, Rory, apparently. No, I'm on your side, I have to say.
0: Thank you, mate. I'm completely with you. I think that those magical things that you discover as a child and then actually eventually getting the chance to fulfil them, that, that's well worth doing. Yeah. It really is. I don't think there are many from my childhood. As a teenager, I went to see the Royal Shakespeare Company, and then I waited until I was uh, 58 before I worked for them. And actually, right, the really? first, night, first night of going on stage at the Royal Shakespeare Company for me was quite an emotional thing. And everybody kept saying, are you all right? I said, yeah, no, I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine. I, I'm not nervous. I wasn't nervous at all. I was very excited. But it was the, the idea that all those years ago, I dreamt about it. I'd stood on that stage as a teenager and thought, that's what I'd like to do. That's what I'd like to be. And so I waited all that time. And then, you know, at the point where you think, well, this is not going to happen, suddenly the opportunity occurred. Wow. And
2: and there I was. You know, when when you were, when you were, can I ask you a question? When you were a teenager standing on that stage, was there a production on? Did they say what's this teenager doing? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, get off! All get right, off! The yeah, who is state. he? Who is he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: I went for a tour after having seen Ian McKellen and mm. uh, Francesca Annis in
2: in Romeo wow. and Juliet. G- Can we say Mike, Michael Fentener Stevens is a uh, an RSC? Can we say he's a Royal Shakespearean?
0: It's performing in this podcast with kind permission of the Royal Shakespearean. Yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. That's what they used to say at the end of radio programmes, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's lovely also that you treasure that photograph of your family altogether.
2: You know, that doesn't happen Yeah, this, happen very this often, blurred, 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 I mean, blurred, that, dark that, that, blurred, blurred, that dark bit, is that my I dad? Think. Or is that dad, it's my dad, I think, yeah. Or oh, my, oh, wife. Oh, my wife. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> or my wife, yeah. Or is it the barbecue? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we're going to put that
0: photograph into the time capsule and uh, preserve it for you forever. So what's uh, what's Number three. Okay, we're going to take a very short break here for some ads. The things that helped to pay for the making of this podcast. So, thanks for your indulgence. See you in a sec.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass.
0: There we are, that didn't take long. Now let's get straight back to Rory McGrath and find out what else he'd like to put in his
2: time capsule. It's a bacon sandwich. I I don't blame you. I want to ask you a question, okay? Okay. Good. You say that. Mm. You say that, Mike. But, you know, I've got into fights over this one. You get 10 people in a room uh, and say, what's your definition of bacon sandwich? You'll get 10 different definitions. So if I asked you, Mike Stevens... Your bacon sandwich.
0: Tell me, tell me what it is. Well, it's um. So you cut the loaf yourself. So it's a crusty white loaf.
2: Oh, you see, the bread is a factor. You've gone white. That's correct. Thank you. All right. Uh, Lots of proper butter. Butter. He said, "But (laughs) you see, Mike Stevens says butter." Hello. (laughs) He puts butter on his bacon sandwiches. White bread with butter. You're ahead, and people say, to me, "Oh, butter, Rory, bacon is greasy and got a lot of fat." Yeah, but butter. Yeah. I said, "No, that's the no point
0: butter. of it." Yeah, yeah. But I'm right. going to test. I'm going to test whether I'm I'm completely with you on this, then, because I like the bacon to be well done, and oh. I don't. You know, this is the one. This is where we test it. I don't put any sauce on it.
2: No sauce. No sauce. I love you, my. <laughs> you're doing very well so far let's go back to this white crusty loaf though yes white is good i like that but sort of a you know a cob that sort of thing
0: like a a, a white farmhouse loaf with a good crust on it that's what i'd go for
2: really yeah i think you really meant i want two slices of really shit bread spongy (laughs) Mother's pride, <laughs> mother's pride. M- m- mighty white, spongy <laughs> bread. Yeah, that, I think that's
0: what you meant. Yeah. Is that what I meant? And uh, no, that's yeah. what I meant to say. Yeah, I wouldn't want a really classy
2: home baked loaf. So is that yours? That's your choice. Wait, wait hang on, finish yet, mate? Are- oh, okay. Well done, white bread. Well done, butter. The bacon. Now are we talking smoked, streaky, green, well done, crispy? Smoked, or unsmoked and, uh, is the big one. Uh, uh, unsmoked. We're getting go. a round of applause. Yeah, go, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't, you're getting a big hit rate on this one. <laughs> yeah. Are we talking streaky. Are we talking back. Are we talking middle. No, 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 back. He's done it again. He's. Got, you're going to get to the. Like, you know, you want to be a million. You're going to get to the. And now for a million times. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. Now your final question. Right. So um, now, but you want going back to what you said earlier. You said, well done. Yeah. Not not
0: crispy, I would say. Not crispy. No, no, just I like it so it sort of goes slightly firm in places, as it were. You know, I like the rind to go slightly brown. Oh do you know
2: what you've just done, Mike? You've just mentioned rind. You've uh, just mentioned rind. You want it to go slightly firm, the rind. And what does that what does that tell me about you, Mike? It tells me that you leave the rind on, which is another Randall, you're doing. I can't getting, believe this. Yeah, you're getting through this, mate. Although that there are there are <laughs> people listening to this
0: who are just shouting and saying, "What are you talking about? This is rubbish." But
2: I'm. You're, you're quite right. You. you are quite right. That, that's this is you, your bacon sandwich. This is your bacon sandwich. This is why we started, because you know, I've I've spoken to people that, um, oh, bacon sandwich. He said, "I said, well, um, the bread has to be not too well toasted." I said, "Excuse me." What? did I say toasted bacon sandwich or did I say bacon sandwich? You know. <laughs> I'm glad it doesn't mean much to you. That's the important thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you can get it. It's a first world luxury, this problem, isn't it? So yeah, so how are we doing? So we know so you you actually done very well and that's it. But yours though is... Mother's pride, that's the thing I got wrong. Shit white bread, shit white bread, bread. butter, back bacon, unsmoked, rind on, rind a bit firm, um, not too well done, not crispy, and no sauce. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't far off. Brilliant. We should have well, a bacon sandwich together. I, I tell you when. We should. And when we find this time capsule, we'll be fighting over it. We'll be fighting over it. <laughs> we us. will be.
0: All right, well, I'm going to make you a lovely bacon sandwich to your recipe, which is clearly mm. the correct recipe. Uh, and then I, I'll, I'll wrap it in that silver foil. Just I think, warm, yeah, that, that's so. a good
2: idea. I quite like
0: that as well. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's brilliant. Okay, Rory,
2: so we've got two items to go. What's your next item? I wanted to put scratching my ass in the time capsule because (laughs) it's something that gives me a lot of pleasure. Um, I didn't mention that. I'm not putting scratching my ass in because I think it's crude. It's crude and unpleasant. (laughs) Uh, Therefore, you wouldn't mention it. Yeah, (laughs) obviously not. I wouldn't mention it and then not put it in, obviously. Um, (laughs) What are you going to put in instead? I'm going to put in my first ever full-size guitar because... The first full size guitar I got was a a, a Yamaha FG 140 if you're making notes. Um, (laughs) And to this day, I've got eight guitars in this house, um, which you would think is excessive. For someone eight who can't play the guitar, you think that's a lot of guitars to have, you know. Um, But this first one I have, which I got when I was about 16, so that would have been. Oh dear, I've, I've, I've lumped <laughs> myself now. Yeah. Over twenty years ago, over twenty years ago, <laughs> uh, and it's still got the best tone of all my guitars. When I when I play one of my three chords on it, it's it's still got the best tone, mm. uh, and it's given me a lot of pleasure playing the guitar. Uh, it hasn't given me many other people pleasure, but it gives me pleasure. And um, you know, I like writing songs—some uh, serious, some funny—and. Um, I have it here. I have it here so I can give oh. it to you. Okay, well, give us, a,
0: give us a bit of the tone. Yeah, it's, uh, so that, that's Lovely.
2: like that, and, and it is... Uh, I, uh, always, uh,
0: I think of you as associated with the guitar, actually. I always think of you and the, the songs that you've written over the years. Mm. And to this day, that uh, I'm going to sing a song. It goes uh, CDGCDFG. Not very good lyrics, but it's a great tune.
2: Ah, ah, Yeah, I Did you say that. I used to say when I was, I worked with uh, uh, a wonderfully, um, I sound like Stephen Fry now, extraordinarily talented, uh, (laughs) splendidly, splendidly talented uh, uh, musician called Philip Pope. I don't know if you're familiar with Philip Pope at all. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you may have come across him in your work. Um, (laughs) We we did a show together, Short and Curly's it was going to be called, because because he's short and I'm <laughs> curly. We had to change that to Baldy and Fatty later on. <laughs> um, we first met um, musically. We were in a band called, uh, a blues band called Blue. Uh, got fed up with that, so we changed it to a reggae band uh, called Reg. Uh, and then we changed to a country band. Uh, we just couldn't <laughs> couldn't think of a name, are we? Um, uh, no, I'm lost as well. I've no idea. So yeah. that, yeah. So we, and as you know, Phil and I put together this country and western band uh, for the Edinburgh Fringe in 1991, and we went back in 1992. I like country music because it's easy to play and. It's lyrically it's one of the few genres of music which actually is lyrically like folk music, I suppose, is as well. But the lyrics, are, so if you want to do verbal jokes, country's a good vehicle for that.
0: Yeah. Also, it has that sort of um, that seriousness about it, which which is very simple, isn't it? Uh, which is, I suppose, a good way of setting up a joke, isn't it?
2: Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, I, and in country western, people are not they're not shy about mawkishness and no. and simple sentimentality and. Things hey. like that. I was talking to a guy called Phil McIntyre, who's a promoter in a bar in London. And I was, you know, we we're all quite merry. And I said, hey, you put on shows, don't you, uh, Phil? And um, he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, why? I said, I've got a great idea. Can you put my my band on? He said, oh, I didn't know you had a band, Roy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's a country-western band. It does comedy in and country-western. And he said, oh, what's it called? And I couldn't think of anything to say, so I said, it's called um, Death by Country. <laughs> and he said, yeah, well, so what, I mean, what's the combo? I said, oh, it's it's uh, it's me on acoustic guitar, Philip uh, Pope uh, on acoustic guitar, keyboards, vocal, he's a good arranger, lead guitar, Sean Lyons, lead guitar. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I suddenly remembered someone's name. Um, so he said, oh, well, is it good? I said, it's good it's brilliant it's really funny very, and it, musically it's very sound and this, i was so full of bullshit in those days uh, in those days he says um <laughs> obviously you wake up the next morning you have no memory of this and about three weeks later <laughs> philip mcintyre phoned me up and said i got you two weeks at the gilded balloon edinburgh I said, <laughs> phil what the fuck are you talking about so for your band and i said what band Said, you country western band. I, went, I haven't got a country western band. Where do you get it? Rory, you told me, Death by Country. And I thought, oh, God, yeah, I did. I said, oh, sorry, that band, that country western band. I said, yeah, c- can I get back to you? Um, so put the phone down. Phone Phil Pope said, Phil, we need to write 20 songs and get a band together uh, for, for, for August <laughs> to do a comedy and country western show. And we have to write 20 comedy country western songs. So we actually we got we pulled it off in the end, and we, we produced yeah. some some great stuff and some crap stuff. But you know, it was it was and it was one that it was a great fun show to do. It really was brilliant. It's like
0: Field of Dreams, isn't it? If you build it, they will come. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's about as funny as Field of Dreams. <laughs> <laughs> so your guitar then. <laughs> Your guitar, yeah. you've kept it all this time. It's um, and people don't lose guitars, do they? They don't ever get rid of them. That's a strange thing, isn't it?
2: Well, it's, uh, you're exactly right. Uh, that's a very good point. Um, and you make a, that point. You make is a point that's been made by uh, Ralph McTell. I mean, I originally. Took up the guitar in order to learn "Streets of London," the Ralph McTell song. Uh, yeah. One of, sorry, I should say, one of Ralph McTell's <laughs> hundreds of famous songs. I seen. Him, I got to know him quite well, actually. It's quite. It's, it's weirdly sort of thrilling for me to to mm-hmm. to, to meet. his, his most. I don't, do You ever know, met him?
0: I haven't met him, but I did once do a play at the Colchester Mercury Theatre. They said you have to clear the dressing room because uh, Ralph McTell's performing here on Sunday, and so uh, I cleared my dressing room, but I left my wedding ring in the drawer in the dressing room and Ralph McTell performed there on the Sunday and when I came back my wedding ring was missing. So I'm absolutely not accusing Ralph McTell of nicking my wedding ring.
2: Shall I give Ralph a ring now? Not my ring. I want it back. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. A lovely panel on the word ring there, Michael. Thank you. Yeah so Ralph McTell uh, he says this you know I get a new guitar and I think what is the best guitar and I use it a lot and then I get fed up and put it away and he says I've got twenty two guitars <laughs> and i won't throw any of them away and i think so no. why am i saving them you know yeah. <laughs> I, i'm 75 you know I, I can only use one at a time you know actually that that guitar the one i'm talking about the fg 140 uh so i was doing a charity show at in cambridge where i live actually at the corn exchange and the people coming in you know they're coming from the day job in their suits and they get changed into the sandals and the sweater you know it's like getting ready to i'm a folk musician <laughs> yeah yeah Where's my poncho, you know? Where, um, <laughs> one bloke said to me, he said, that's a, that, that's a Yamaha guitar. is said, yes, yeah. And he said, uh, that's got a lovely tone. And uh, he said, uh, I'll buy it off you. I said, what? He said, I'll give you 350 quid for it. And I said to him, I said, I'd, I'd love to make, but this is the guitar that's going in Mike Fenton-Stevens' Time Capsule. <laughs> well, I, I would have, I would have said that, but in a sense, now it it, it, it it has that importance. you know I could say this is. I said, I'm sorry, money, three hundred fifty pounds is a generous offer, but this is my first full size guitar. I, this is I can't part with this. The, the, the money will not buy this guitar, and he said, Oh well, I just thought I'd ask. Oh, no, no, hang on. <laughs> <I'll go. laughs> no, no, I thought you, I thought you grew <laughs> off offer 400. Yeah, exactly. I said, like, 400, 400, it's yours, mate. No,
0: <laughs> oh, well, as you find it such a precious thing, then, <laughs> yeah. we will put it into the time capsule. Lovely, so lovely. I'm putting it in a case just to make sure it's safe. So we've got one other item, and uh, this is something that you want to get rid of,
2: Rory. It is. I would like to put in the time capsule to be forgotten forever the 2013 Christmas Celebrity Edition final of University Challenge, which Emmanuel, including me, lost to Gonville and Keys College, Cambridge. (laughs) Well, they've got a sillier name, so that's all right. They've got, got, well, I'll tell you who the team were talking about silly names. Gonville and Keys had Mark Damaza, who Mm -hmm. was controller of Radio 4 for a while. Lars Tharp. <laughs> you laugh. He's a famous antiques expert and historian. Yes, I know. <laughs> I'm just worried about what's coming. <laughs> Quentin Stafford Fraser, who's um, uh. a, a, an IT entrepreneur. No, he, he is a lovely bloke. Um, and Helen Castor, the historian. Um, but when, you, when you've got yeah. someone like Lars Tharp on the team, you know, they in university, they say Trinity Lloyd, you know, they the college first. So it was Keyes Tharp. When he pressed the buzzer. <laughs> and it's one of the reasons he kept beating. He was very, he was a very bright bloke, uh, Lars Tharp. And the buzzers cancel each other out. So the first person on the buzzer means nobody else buzzes. That's how it works. So Jeremy attacks me and asks a question. I went, Zzz! and he goes, Key Tharp. And I thought, hang on a minute. Why didn't they say Emmanuel McGrath then? You know. And it kept happening. And he was so fast on the buzzer. And I know what's happening that hearing the words Key Tharp, was such a bizarre thing that, that, that stuck in my head every night. I said, oh I know this one. Mm, key stop. I said, Why is someone saying key stop all the time? Someone is saying key stop. What the fuck is key stop? You know, someone came at you in the street and said, Key stop, <laughs> get back. You know, I think that's so I'm just this this whole thing is an apology. Getting my excuses as to why we did so badly in it. Uh when they phoned my agent phoned up and said, do you want to be uh, in the Emmanuel College uh, Celebrity University Challenge team uh, at Christmas? And I said, no, no, of course I don't. And I said, I'll tell you who will, though. Uh, Griffith Jones will. Sebastian Falks will. And they said, oh, no, no, um, Sebastian Fox turned it down and recommended Griffiths Jones. Griffith Jones turned it down and recommended you. I said, oh, God, so. You just don't want to let down your alma mater, though, do you? No, time? I don't. And uh, apart from, you know losing to a better team which we're gonna to have to you know face up to that fact okay um so on on my team we had uh myself uh we had hugo rifkind he's a journalist and he's got a very famous dad of course uh yes sir malcolm rifkind the um mm-hmm. the, the trib- tribunes artist a politician mixed um we had Simon Singh. Do you know Simon Singh? The yes, pop, a marvellous writer. Yeah, marvellous uh, sci- scientific writer. Remember this, Mike. He's the science man on our team. Uh, we had a gorgeous girl called um, Marianne Ochota, who is an anthropologist. So that's the four of us. And Hugo said to me, we've had some sort of conference calls practicing, which is really embarrassing. You know? And uh, Hugo said, do you think um, garage and house music are likely to crop up? because that, that's really my, my forte, garage music. <laughs> uh, I said, well, anything else at all, like politics, writing, history? No, not really, just garage music. I said, okay, uh, that's fine. Uh, Simon Singh is a good science writer, um, and Marianne Otota. It was good at all the anthropology questions, which were zero uh, <laughs> on the night. But when I was a student at Emmanuel, I'd actually applied to be on the student, you know, back in 1974. But uh, I went with this friend called Harry Potter. No, he was called Harry Potter. He Long before the books came out, he was called Harry Potter. And me and Harry, we cheated during the... So uh, any answer I didn't know, he knew and vice versa. So we got 100%. We were found out. And we also had somebody in a manual called John Emanuel, and I'd said to the president, I said, what we need is John Emmanuel should be in the team. So when he presses the button, I go, Emmanuel, Emmanuel. <laughs> and they said, but John Emmanuel doesn't want to do it and he doesn't know anything. And we had a guy called Andy Kant, C A N T Kant. I said, we put him in, because then they'll say, Emmanuel Kant. And he's like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but all these ideas were crude. Were yeah. So yeah, we went well. on. And there was one question which uh, we got, which was, which group of metals is named after element number seventy-eight? I said Simon, element seventy-eight is platinum, so they must be called the platinum metals. And he looked at me and said, "No, there's no. I never heard of platinum metals." I said, "No, but I've never heard of platinum metals either." But element seventy-eight is platinum. Now I know all the proton numbers. It's one of the sad things I did when you. So I said seventy-eight is platinum, and he went. Mm, Simon Singer was our captain, so he was the last spokesman. Said. To him, um but no I'm not saying platinum. It's definitely not platinum metals. I think I think they're called the lanthanides. So I will say lanthanides. And Jeremy Paxman went, I'm afraid he's right. It's platinum. Oh. And instead of getting over it and saying, Right, next question, I'm sitting there going Jesus Christ, Simon, Simon. Like, and, of course, that's what, lost, that's what lost us. It was not the fact that you know, he overruled me on the wrong answer, that I then was out of the game completely because I was so annoyed yeah. that I didn't you know, insist on it. You know, and I don't yeah. answer any more questions after that. And the first thing is, is University Challenge up to that point had been my favorite program. It's one of the few – me and I we don't watch much television. University Challenge and Air Crash Investigation – they are the only two programs we watch, you know. So that's 2013. I haven't watched it since. I cannot watch no. it. No, I can't watch it. Oh, no, Rory, that's such a loss. I know. I,
0: it's, a, it's with me. It's one of those things. I sit down and watch it with my wife and listen to my wife answer the question. <laughs> I could never do that program. I'd be absolutely useless, but um having taken that risk, made that big jump, that leap into okay, I will go in it because so many people would just as you say, your first reaction is no i'm not going no, I'm not stupid. If I was recommending someone to do it, I would recommend you because you've always oh, been yeah. you've always been that person who just has this extraordinarily broad knowledge, and that's what you need.
2: Yeah, full of shit is what you're saying, Mike. Isn't <laughs> That's I right. Always, yeah. It's always been full of shit. Um yeah, I know I say, you know, people phone me up and say, Do you want to a university? Say, of course not. I'm not stupid. I'm um, stupid, in fact. <laughs> yeah, it turns out you are <laughs>
0: stupid. All right, so we're gonna take that um that act of complete stupidity mm. and we're gonna lock it away for you, Rory. So it's uh,
2: it's gone. I've met him a few times since, you know, and he has no recollection of it at all. I say, Simon, element number seventy eight platinum and he goes well sorry what do you mean that's you know Uh-oh. the question in the university challenges oh yeah did we oh yeah because you you were in that weren't you with me uh-huh. and i think yeah he's like you remember the fucking program and it's, <laughs> I, it's i it's like a fucking stain on my soul it, i live with this i live with it daily i can't see a 78 bus go past so i think I've heard of platinum. <laughs>
0: Well, I would have recommended Simon Singh's book about the maths in the Simpsons. Oh, no,
2: it's a great, that's a great—that's a great book. It's a, yeah. But no, we're not. No, that's it. Don't read it,
0: please. Don't read it. I'm going to <laughs> tell all the listeners. <laughs> all right, thank you, Rory. Well, we're going to seal up the time capsule, and there you are. Things are safe or hidden, one or the other. Yeah. So, thank you very much for being in my time capsule. It's been lovely to talk to you.
2: No, it's always a joy, Mike. Always a joy. Thank you so much for having me.
0: You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Rory McGrath. You can listen to this episode again and all other episodes by subscribing to this podcast on Acast, Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, or whichever podcast provider you personally prefer. If you want more information about past and future episodes, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. You just search My Time Capsule or Fenton Stevens and it'll take you there. If you have the time, we'd be most grateful if you would rate this podcast and maybe get creative and leave a small review. No hyphen in Fenton Stevens, by the way. You could leave a review like this one. Um, This is from someone who calls himself Peased Off. Don't know why. Um, It says... What I really hate about this podcast is the way they keep banging on about reviews or the... Oh, right. um, Oh, well, maybe this one then. Um, A listener called Stick Your Reviews, Write Up Your... Yeah, maybe not. Um, No, you don't have to write a review. (laughs) Bye.